Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Michelle, and I'll be the host for today's special edition of the Through the Noise podcast. Last week, the CIO office hosted a client webinar to discuss various implications of the Ukraine crisis and the latest Fed policy meeting. And what we're going to do today is to go through some of the top questions from the webinar. We'll focus on topics such as some investment options when it comes to hedging against inflation, the outlook of China's equity, the property bond markets, and the U.S. technology sector, or some of the implications of the Fed's hawkish stance to bond investors and some currencies that are likely to benefit from the current environment. To do this, I'm pleased to have here with me today Mr. Steve Bryce, the bank's chief investment officer, Mr. Daniel Lam, our head of equity strategy, and Mr. Manpreet Gill, our head of fixed income, currency, and commodity strategy. Okay, so quite a lot to go through today. Steve, perhaps let's start with the economic environment. Naturally, there are a lot of chatters about stagflation at the moment. Can you give your perspective on this? Yeah, I suppose one of the, the, the key challenges that people have is exactly what is stagflation. So maybe let's start a little bit with that. So firstly, um, there's two things that everybody will agree is required for stagflation to take place. So obviously slowing growth and rising inflation. And clearly what we've seen in recent past is that we're, we're definitely getting that. So even actually before the Ukraine crisis, uh, growth expectations were being revised lower, modestly, pretty much around the world outside of China. Uh, and also uh, inflation expectations were, were being raised. So we were already actually pre-Ukraine sort of hitting that. But I, I'd add another um, factor when it comes to uh, thinking about stagflation, and that's the labour market. You know, Normally in a stagflationary environment, you'd associate that with rising unemployment. And clearly we're having the reverse at the moment where jobs are being created. And there's actually a shortage of, of labour, generally speaking. So there's more jobs being created than, than uh, you know, there's available labour to fill. So, you know, from our perspective, this isn't a typical st- stagflationary environment. Um, growth is, you know, is being revised lower. Growth expectations are being revised lower, but they're still well above trend. Uh, obviously, inflation is a concern, and, and we've seen that more recently in the Fed state, which we'll, I suppose we'll talk about later. Um, but, you know, if we look at the environment, recession indicators still flashing green uh, by and large. Um, and uh, overall, this is not a, a true stagnant, stagflationary environment as we would see it. But inflation is likely to remain high. I see. So it looks like inflation is here to stay. But are there any best hedges against inflation? Manpreet, maybe let's st- start with you. Uh, sure. Hi, Michelle. Um, absolutely. And I think one, one good starting point might very well be to look at gold. Um, now, this is one of the most popular asset classes to to reach for when investors are worried about inflation. And, and to a large degree, we, we'd agree with that. But I think understanding the detail behind it uh, might help understand what role, you know, gold can uh, best play uh, when you're trying to when you're worrying about inflation. So if you chart sort of gold just against headline inflation, uh, it actually isn't as good a hedge as one would 
expect um, based on its popularity. But where it really plays a role is, you know, when inflation starts, uh, when rising inflation pushes real or net of inflation bond yields lower. So what that means is that gold can be a really good hedge uh, against an unexpected rise in inflation, uh, which ends up pushing those real yields lower um, and offers a great hedge before policy has a time to catch up by raising interest rates. So perhaps not the only place to blow, but I think it's a really great starting point. Yeah, and maybe I can just add some things here. I think there's, you know, if you're looking in the short term, I think, you know, if we're looking at sort of floating rate debt, that typically is a good place to look at because one of the concerns you have, obviously, if you, you're investing in bonds is that bond yields go sharply higher, pushing prices lower, um, at least temporarily hurting you. Um, but, you know, in the floating debt, floating rate debt market, obviously, interest rates get adjusted up um, with with short term interest rates, so um, that's obviously gives you a significant protection uh, against the environment. And there's two areas within this that we like. Um, so one is private credit. It's something that we've been talking about for some time, um, but cri- private credit is generally floating rate debt um, and and you know relatively attractive yields relative to to um, to public markets. Uh, so that's one area. Another area that we look at when we're looking at uh, in a multi-asset income context is um, senior loans, which uh, is they're basically uh, short-term high-yield uh, bonds or, or debt. Um, so, th- but again, they do yields get adjusted higher with, uh, with with interest rates. So those are two areas on on the, on the short-term side. The other thing I would sort of say on the, the longer-term perspective is it's often underplayed is that you know real estate and equities can provide a very good long-term uh, inflation hedge now the challenge here of course is that the economic environment matters to both the interest rate environment particularly probably actually for the um, for the real estate market matters in terms of it could increase people's financing costs so you know in the short term it can diverge from inflation quite significantly um, but over the long term we do think they should be part of your core portfolio um, as, as as over the long term they will um, sort of offset any inflationary problems right okay so um, Daniel Steve just mentioned about um, the structural importance of being invested in equity markets as an inflation hedge and I know that the CIO office is retaining its overweight to global equities however I just want to focus a little bit about the volatility in Asia x Japan and the China equity markets what are your thoughts on the Asia and China markets going forward okay so we are um overweight or we put the most preferred status to Asian ex Japan equities because we believe that the valuation in the regional equities uh, is relatively cheaper than say in the US and Europe. And also we believe that um, China has been easing policies uh, monetarily. Okay, that's in stark contrast to what we're seeing in US and potentially in Europe as well. Okay. Um, so you know we do like Asian ex Japan equities. Um, what you've seen lately in terms of volatility in um, the Chinese market and the Asian market is because of the um, potential delisting of ADRs of uh, Chinese equities in the U.S. Okay, And that is not a new topic, actually. That's been talked about uh, for a while, but it's been brought up again because the U.S. SEC basically um, named uh, five companies that uh, they believe that they would need to see, you know, fuller disclosure of their accounting standards for. Okay, and we believe this topic is going to be uh, lingering 
uh, in the short term between the U.S. and China. Okay. However, we think that you know the Chinese authorities they have uh, pledged support uh, for the capital markets. You know, about two weeks ago, and um, that has led to a sharp rebound in the markets. Now, um, going forward, you know, despite the volatility, we think that other factors are very important as well. Okay, so China, for example, they have put out a very uh, ambitious five point five percent growth target for GDP, and we believe that they would need to do. Um, much stimulus um, from the infrastructure side in order to achieve this aim, and those would be in areas where you know it has to do with the China self sufficiency theme that we've been highlighting. For example, on the environment, on green technology, etc. Okay, so that would help um, support the、uh, stock market going forward and offset some of the effect from these、uh, short term uncertainties. You know, of course, we need to mention that. In terms of valuation, it is trading at a very, very cheap level、uh, on a ten-year history, for example. And、um, so, you know, we are、um, we do believe in the long-term prospects for the、uh, China equities as well as for the Asian is Japan equities. Thank you. I see. Thanks, Daniel. So,、um, Manpreet, on top of the equity markets, we've also seen some significant volatility in the China high yield bond area too. So, is the outlook similar to the equity markets outlook too? Well, to a certain extent, yes.、Um, you know, Asia Asia high yield and and Chinese high yield within that is is an asset class we view as preferred as part of a broader preference for Asia dollar bonds, and. You know、uh, that's obviously you know、uh, seen quite a bit of volatility,、um, and I think the similarities,、uh, you know, with equities, sort of you can see them coming through there. It's a it's an asset class that's been beaten up quite a bit.、Uh, some of that justified, given there've been a lot of concerns、uh, about defaults, but it also means that the price prices have fallen quite a lot. I mean, just as one example of that, about. Half of the bonds in the Chinese high yield bond universe now trade at less than sixty cents on the dollar. So that's quite a bit of stress in the price. In the price now, the key point here for us is access to liquidity.、Um, you know, when we think about some of the, the the positive comments that came through from policymakers committing to provide more support、uh, to financial markets, including sectors under stress,、uh, that's the area where markets are likely to zero in、uh, from a high yield bond perspective. And the question here is really whether we see any measures come through that help、uh, firms in this、uh, in Chinese high yield. Uh, regain access、uh, to liquidity, whether that's from banks or from the market, or indeed from from、uh, you know sales themselves. So that's what we'll be watching out for.、Um, so I, I think overall, where it leaves us is that yes, there are obviously a number of worries. Some of them, you know, arguably justified. But given what's you know arguably priced in,、uh, given the level the asset class is trading at, we we think it warrants a preferred view、um, and actually you know staying invested in the asset class. Okay, so maybe if we zoom back out and talk about the latest U.S. Federal Reserve meeting,、um, the Fed is clearly becoming more hawkish over the past three months. Which has what has driven this change, and what are the implications for bond investors or for the U.S. technology sector? Okay, so maybe I'll start on, on on why things have changed before handing over to Manpreet and Daniel、um, to talk about bonds and tech. I think from The, the key thing that's changed is, I think, you know, the, as we entered the year, that short-term inflation expectations were rising quite sharply,、um, but long-term inflation expectations were still pretty well behaved. What's happened in the last month since the、uh, start of the conflict in, in Ukraine is that those long-term inflation expectations have broken higher, and that's led to 
you know, the Fed's reaction function changing quite significantly. And I think that's because they, they say, look, we've got high inflation. We can't be as confident as we were that this is transitory. Um, and the risk of a wage price in, uh, price inflation spiral is, 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 is increasing. It's probably not a central scenario, but it's increasing. So therefore, they really had to raise their DEFCON rating, if you like, to show they're serious about combating it. They can, of course, backtrack at some point in the future. Um, obviously, they're trying to balance growth, employment and inflation. Growth and employment, as we mentioned earlier, are pretty strong. Um, um, so with inflation and inflation expectations continuing to rise, that's their focus. Obviously, if we did see growth um, or the labor market weaken, then that could raise uh, becoming increasingly important in their decision making process. But for now, it makes total sense for them uh, to focus on concentrating on inflation. Okay, so Manpreet, would you have any idea on how to show an investor approach bonds given their Fed's hawkishness? Well, there are a couple of things we we think bond investors can do uh, in the light of a, a hawkish Fed. So the big picture story is really to look for bond asset classes that have less sensitive, less well, lower sensitivity uh, to U.S. government bond yields. And you know, one part of that is about limiting exposure to investment grade bonds in developed markets. Uh, the quality is high, but at least mark to market pricing wise, they tend to be quite sensitive to changes in in U.S. government bond yields. Um, at the other extreme, you know, high yield bonds, um, you know, actually do look quite interesting because they tend to be far more sensitive changes in credit risk rather than changes in interest rate risk. Uh, and today we think they offer reasonable value both in the US uh, and in Europe. Another asset class that's a good example of a similar sort of uh, exposure is subordinated financials. Um, they tend to be somewhat higher quality in nature, but again, the focus here is more on the credit quality, the attractive yield on offer rather than sensitivity to, to interest rates. Uh, floating rate ro- loans is another one that Steve spoke about earlier. So there's definitely many of options out there. I, I would also mention Asia dollar bonds within that. Um, now, when you look at the overall asset class, undoubtedly, it is a little bit more investment grade heavy compared to high yield or subordinated financials. So there is a little bit more rate sensitivity, but we do think that is offset more than usual by the higher credit spread, by the higher yield on offer. So uh, those are some ideas for, for asset classes which investors can look to uh, you know, if they want to reduce their exposure to to the risk of higher bond prices, uh, sorry, higher bond yields and, and the volatility that comes with that. Okay, so it seems like there are plenty of options to adapt with the current market situation. So, um, Daniel, what does the Fed means for U.S. stock markets or the U.S. technology sector? Okay, so if you look at the movement for the S and P five hundred index um, since the Fed announcement, they have you know, taken it very well. Um, the Fed didn't go 50 bips, it went 25. And so you've seen the S&P 500 book broken above um, the initial resistance at um, 4489. Okay. Now, what is it going to do after that? Okay. Because there has been speeches by various governors saying that they will be going 50 bips in May. And, you know, at this moment in time, Okay, if you look at the chart again closer, uh, around 4589 is a key level of resistance. It has been hit twice this year and uh, twice the index turned south. Okay, so basically what that means is that this increasing hawkishness um, is going to require some work from the investors, okay? Um, Particularly because, you know, buying tech has been working very well over the last uh, 12 years until this year. 
and you know they would require a bit of work. So our overweight sector, the one that we like the most in the U.S. is the energy sector. Okay, that is a natural inflation hedge, and of course a hedge against geopolitical tension as well. So, you know,、um, energy sector, you know, it has been doing very well.、Um, oil, of course, pulled back from one thirty to around ninety three, ninety four, and held that level, and that was an uptrend, and now it's accelerating on the upside again. Okay, so. Um, basically, we think that it is a good time for investors to rotate more into the energy sector、um, from the tech sector because the tech sector will be under、um, pressure again. Okay, if the rate keeps rising,、um, high rates means that the valuation will be,、um, I guess,、uh, pressurized. Okay, a lot of the、uh, tech stocks they are, you know, having future growth and、uh, high rates will be discounting that future future earnings, so to speak. Okay. So I think basically get involved in the energy sector um, now. Um, it's an overweight sector. Tech we are neutral, and、um, that should do investors pretty well. Okay, so、um, perhaps let's move on to our final question, Manpreet. I believe regular listeners to your Cut to the Chase podcast will know that you're very passionate about currency markets. So, what are your top currency picks in this environment? Well, I think there are three areas I'd really look at.、Uh, my first port of call would be the commodity currencies.、Uh, you know, these have have definitely benefited from the the surge in commodity prices we've seen、uh, over the past few weeks.、Uh, but partly because of that, that meant that domestic interest rates in in many of these markets have also been rising, as have been bond yields. So, in the face of you know hawkish Fed,、um, that's you know inevitably offered some support to U.S. dollar.、Uh, that's been you know a couple of. Key source of support for currencies like the Australian dollar, the Kiwi, and the Canadian dollar. So that would be one area. A second area I'd look at is the Chinese renminbi.、Uh, that's undoubtedly had a little bit of a wobble recently as as COVID cases,、uh, you know, turned higher in China.、Um, but you know, we, we look over the past few few months,、um, it has offered quite a bit of stability through some fairly volatile markets,、uh, and it still has a yield advantage、uh, versus the U.S. dollar when you compare sort of government bond yields. And, and some of the demand、uh, for the renminbi is also you know signifies demand for Chinese government bonds,、uh, which have also proven themselves as you know、uh, one sort of haven of stability、uh, again in a volatile environment. So so we do think that's the second place to look. And the third and final place、uh, is the euro,、uh, but this one, of course, does depend on the time horizon.、Um, I think in the long term,、uh, you know, we think it will be one beneficiary if the U.S. dollar does indeed weaken, as we expect, because there's room for rate expectations to catch up at some point for the ECB.、Uh, but I think in the short term is where I'd be a little bit more concerned about this one,、uh, because、uh, you know, at least over a short horizon of the next couple of weeks or months, that's where、uh, the interest rate differential is moving against the euro. So that might very well make it a good. You know, option as a funding currency, for example, on short horizons.、Uh, but I think you know that's really more of a longer term play. Sure, we're definitely looking back to the three sectors. So thank you, Steve, Manpreet, and Daniel for taking your time with us today, and thank you, listener, for joining us. Steve will be back with you tomorrow to dis- discuss our second quarter investment outlook. In the meantime, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do not forget to like and subscribe it whenever you get your podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Stay safe and speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.